What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. This week's episode is a special one, as this week we're going to be recapping WrestleMania 36. Now, before we get into WrestleMania, there are a few things I need to discuss here at the top of the show. Obviously, this is something that might be confusing to some people, as I have not done a wrestling recap on this show that was WWE-related since WrestleMania 35. I kind of stopped the pay-per-view recaps, and basically the only time I even talk WWE is when I'm doing the male soap opera moment with the Wens. But, I have decided to make an exception when it comes to WrestleMania. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still going to be doing a WrestleMania recap with the Wens, uh, but obviously there's going to be a lot of differences in that one because obviously Wenz will be giving his opinions and I won't be able to talk as much about the other uh, shows because obviously Wenz is going to have time to speak as well. So I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of get my WrestleMania thoughts and feelings off of my chest and kind of talk about what's going on. Plus, I do want to make sure that since WrestleMania, no matter what wrestling company you're involved in, WrestleMania is the biggest wrestling show of the year. It's why all the other promotions book events around WrestleMania weekend in order to try and get some fans and get their name out there and promote them. It's also why WrestleCon tends to be wherever WrestleMania is because it is the biggest show of the year. So I'd be doing the Boochcast fans a disservice if I didn't talk about WrestleMania 36. So that's why this week I'm not having any other time topics except for wrestling and the AEW NXT recaps are still going to be done but I'm going to be posting those on Wednesday so Wednesday morning you're going to be seeing the post of this week's AEW and NXT will be posted there so you can check out the AEW and the NXT recaps are going to be on Wednesday posted and today we're going to talk about WrestleMania 36 and then next week Boochcast business will go back as usual so on that note we're going to kick things off with WrestleMania 36 and what I'm going to do is since it was a two night event I'm going to talk about the first half of WrestleMania right now then there's going to be a break and then we're going to get into the second half of WrestleMania so we're going to kick things off with um, the first official match of WrestleMania I did not see the match between Cesaro and Gabagulak and that was on the pre-show and the boots don't do pre-show so we're going to skip over that and go to the first official match of the evening which was for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles. The Kabuki Warriors defended the titles against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. This was a solid women's tag team match. I, for one, enjoyed this match immensely. I love the fact that we got to see the women's tag team titles actually be defended in a phenomenal way. The Kabuki Warriors have done absolutely nothing with these tag team belts. And when I'm, as I mentioned before on the male soap opera moment uh, this past Friday, I have not been invested in the Kabuki Warriors. I feel like ever since they lost Paige as a manager, they have gone down downhill. All they do is spew a bunch of Japanese gibberish which is why I have made Japanese gibberish a hashtag that I put out during the male soap opera moment and when I actually tweeted the results of that match I made an effort to put Japanese gibberish because that's all these women have done since holding these belts just a bunch of Japanese gibberish and their tag title reign did nothing to benefit them did nothing to benefit the company so I loved seeing Alexa Bliss nailing that twisted bliss off the top rope for the one two three to get the victory for the team and now we have new 
women's tag team champions Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And I believe Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are going to be phenomenal tag team champions. I feel like this is going to bring more of a spark to the women's tag team division because uh, in its current state, it was hard to get emotionally invested in the women's tag team titles. And I'm hoping that Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross will be able to do more with that, especially since Alexa has her own talk show called The Moment of Bliss. I feel like that will put more of a spotlight on on those tag team titles and now that they're the tag team champions i want to see these belts be featured more and i want to see them go to the different brands i want to see an, i want to see a segment of a moment of bliss on smackdown i want to see a segment of a moment of bliss on monday night raw and i want to see a moment of bliss on nxt let these women go to each brand and let them showcase themselves in a new light let's have them shown on the main roster pay-per-views. Let them compete in an NXT takeover. That's what we need to see more of from the women's tag team division. They say the women can go everywhere. Let them go everywhere. Give them a segment on each show. Just a segment. Even if it's not a match, just a segment would make things better. Now, would I like to see a match? Absolutely. Whether it be a singles match or a tag team match or a tag team title match, whatever it is. Try to give these women more exposure on these brands. Let these titles mean something and let me believe that these titles could change hands and end up on Monday Night Raw, end up on Friday Night SmackDown, or end up on Wednesday NXT. Put them there. Especially since, you know, like I said before, AEW is dominating in the ratings right now. You need to get more star power behind NXT. You got to look at whatever loophole you can look at in order to get these ratings up. Because right now, it ain't happening. It's not happening. It hasn't been happening for the longest time. And as good as this NXT roster is, they're not getting it done. So they really, really need to bring in more stars. And I think this is the best way to do it. Have Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross make some kind of impact on the show. Because obviously you can't bring the guys in there. Because no incentive to bring the guys in there. But you have women who can navigate to all three shows. So let them navigate to all three shows. Make things interesting. And excite, bring excitement to NXT. So I want to see these women get showcased more. If you're going to make these tag team titles important, they have to have some kind of focal point, especially since a lot of wrestling fans have been clamoring for a women's tag team titles. Personally, I didn't want a women's tag team division. I didn't feel like there were enough women to make this happen. I didn't think there were enough women to make it exciting, but still, fans were clamoring for it. So, give it to them. But you gotta give it to them right. You gotta showcase it better. You can't let it sit in the background. Otherwise, no one's gonna give a shit. But nonetheless, it was still a great match. Um, everybody was on point. Everybody had great timing. And they were allowed themselves to not be phased by the fact that there's no audience. And they allowed themselves to have a kick-ass, phenomenal show. And on that note, we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening. We have Elias versus King Corbin. And I'm sorry, this was by far the most boring match of the night. There was no excitement. There was nothing fun about this. Uh, Corbin's promo was shit. The match itself was shit. Um, you know, Elias got a win by grabbing the tights, which only reason that even made any logical sense was because Corbin was cheating the whole way. The only person that stood out the most in this match 
was the ref. The female referee who was standing her ground and arguing and, you know, when Elias would get in her face and like, you know, do I need to teach you how to count? And she got in her face and argued back, which is what I like to see. I don't like it when the refs have to look like little bitches when wrestlers yell at them. It's like, you're the referee. You're the authority. You're the man or woman in charge. Everyone should be listening to you. Now, obviously, if you get hit by a wrestler, you got to take a bump and make it look like the wrestler's a badass. But if they're just yelling and screaming at you, you shouldn't back down. As a referee, you should always be in the wrestler's face at all times because you're in charge. You're the referee. You call the match. If you're going to be a referee, you can't be a little bitch. The only time you're supposed to be a little bitch is if you get hit. If they hit you, you obviously got to go down. You got to sell for the wrestler because you're a ref. You're not a, you're not a tough guy. But you got to have that authority in your voice when you're calling the shots. Let them know, I'm the referee. I can disqualify you. I can count you out. Remind the wrestler that you're in charge. And I love that. So the referee stood out the most in this match. Everybody else was absolute shit. Everybody else was absolute shit. So this was a this was a stupid match. It, it did nothing to benefit the show. It did nothing to benefit whatever stupid storyline they were doing. This match could have been a bathroom break, but I didn't have to go to the bathroom. Otherwise, I would have. But looking back, I should have used it to fix myself a drink. But anyway, on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have for the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch defends the title against Shayna Baszler. I love this match. This match was so well done. It was insane. From the very beginning of this match, there was phenomenal storytelling and ring psychology. Quite possibly the best I've seen in WWE in a long time. The fact that every single time those two women grappled in the ring, they were going for their finish. Becky Lynch did everything she could to work that arm and try to get the disarmor. Shayna Baszler did everything she could to wrap her arms around Becky's neck and lock in that Curafuta clutch. And every time she went for it, Becky would like, you know, get to the ropes and try to, you know, dive out of and like try to like roll out of the ring to avoid it. Or when she locked it up, she slid her, she slid underneath and did a roll up pin. It was great. Or when like she'd fight for the arm and Becky and Shayna would find a way to knock Becky off and do all this other stuff until finally they lock everything in. And, you know, Becky Lynch eventually, you know, Shayna turning around and locking the disarmor on Becky, I thought was great. One point she went for an arm bar and Becky fought out of that. And then at one point she actually locks in the Curafuta clutch and it looks like Becky is fading and fading and fading and fading and she catches her. But then Becky fights her way out, you know, does that classic move where she kick flips over and Shayna still has the hold and Becky gets the one, two, Three, the winner and still Raw Women's Champion, Becky Lynch. And as much as I love this match, and as much praise as I give this match, the finish was anticlimactic and stupid. I hated the finish of this match. And the reason is because even though a lot of people love it because they feel like it doesn't bury Shayna and allows the rivalry to continue. Here's the thing. First of all, I don't feel like this rivalry needs to continue. I feel like it should have been a one and done and Shayna should have walked out with a championship. Becky Lynch has been the Raw Women's Champion long enough and her reign as champion has gotten horribly stale. It's just stale and boring. Her promos have been shit leading up to this match. As much as she talked about Ronda Rousey, 
Rousey. I expected Ronda to come out here and interfere in this match, and the fact that she didn't is just, it makes makes it a waste of time for Becky to even mention her name. But the fact is, Shayna fell for this trick before in NXT. So for Shayna to fall for the same trick twice, in my opinion, makes her look stupid. It makes her look bad in that way. It's one thing to fall for that for, to fall for that trick once, but if you fall for that trick more than once, you're just an idiot. That's something that that's a type of finish you can only do with somebody one time. You do it once and then you never do it again because nobody should be stupid enough to make that same mistake twice. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Eugene wrestling in the ring. Nobody should be making that type of stupid mistake twice. So because WWE went there and again insulted the intelligence of the audience, especially the ones on the WWE Network that think, oh, we don't remember that and we're just going to make NXT and the main roster two separate things even though all of them are on network TV now. And we just established NXT as a third brand, so we should not be insulting the intelligence of the audience and trying to pretend that NXT and Raw and SmackDown are on a different playing field. Because you just put them on a level playing field since Survivor Series. So, that was a dumbass move. So the finish was garbage, but the entire match was great. Um, and it makes it hard for me to enjoy because, as I mentioned before, if the finish is shitty, then the match is shitty. Because that means you took me on this incredible journey and gave me this shitty ending and wasted my time. So I want to give props to both these uh, wrestlers. They did a phenomenal job. Shayna and Becky did put a great job, and I don't want to take anything away from their performance. But the fact that they had to execute that finish was fucking stupid. So I don't really blame them. I blame the booking team. I blame the agent of the match. I blame whoever's idea it was. Whoever booked that finish is the person that deserves the blame for that match. But those two women tore the house down. I couldn't be more impressed with these women. I, I, I couldn't be more impressed with how well they've done. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the Intercontinental Championship. Sami Zayn defends the title against Daniel Bryan. This was a decent match. And that's all I can say about it. It was it was a fairly decent match. The finish was shitty, but the match itself was decent. You know, Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn are both great in-ring competitors. And, you know, they can always put on a great match. Sami Zayn, obviously, as the heel, you know, he was being kind of the chicken shit heel at the time. And Daniel Bryan really laying into Sami Zayn verbally with the taunts. Like, you're, you're the nobody. You haven't earned anything. And Sami's like, if you would just join us you could be great like there was a lot of trash talking in this match as well as brutal kicks and brutal shots from both of them this is a pretty violent match uh obviously there were no weapons involved but as violent as far as fists and kicks go these two really beat the shit out of each other and it was a great showing you know Sami Zayn obviously taking the beating of his life Sami at times looked like he was crying and in pain uh, the only thing I didn't like, again, was a crappy finish where Daniel Bryan goes to save Gaba Gulak with a suicide dive, then leaps off the top rope. Sammy catches him with a haluva kick, and Sammy covers him one, two, three, and is still the Intercontinental Champion. I thought that was a shitty way to end the match. I really did. That was a very shitty way to end 
the match, I, I think. You know, I, I would have been much happier if Sammy had just beaten Daniel Bryan without him having to dive out of the ring because, to me, that's stupid. Look, I get it. You know, Gabagulak is your friend. You know, I know they're allies, but, dude, you're focusing on a match. Drew Gulak's a grown man. He can take care of himself. You know, get your victory, win the title, and then go help your friend. I'm sorry. The fact that Daniel Bryan did that was stupid. It was a stupid thing to do. It was a waste of time. It did nothing. They were distracted by, you know, Gabagulak. They weren't going to interfere, or or at least not. It didn't look like they weren't going to interfere anyway, but it was just stupid. He allowed Sami Zayn time to recover, which caused him to lose the match and the title and, and the opportunity at the title. But I guess on the other hand, I do like the fact that Sami Zayn is still the Intercontinental Champion. And it's great to see Sami Zayn with a solo championship and the fact that they're actually going to do right by Sami Zayn. Because I really thought Daniel Bryan was going to win this because WWE hasn't done anything right by Sami Zayn with the exception of giving him the Intercontinental Championship. They haven't done much with him and I didn't think they were going to do a lot with him. I literally thought he was going to be a transitional champion, but I'm glad to see that he wasn't. And, you know, he's going to keep the belt. I just wish they could have gone about it in a different way rather than having Daniel Bryan suicide dive and then get hit with a haluva kick. I thought that was done. So, well, like I said, it was a decent match with a very crappy finish. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have a triple threat match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Uh, John Morrison versus Kofi Kingston versus Jimmy Uso. Now, apparently what happened was The Miz was injured on SmackDown. Now, I don't know if this is a real injury or if this is a kayfabe injury because Miz was sick. I know there was a rumor going around that The Miz was sick at the tapings but still went anyway, which is why I respect The Miz immensely. You know, because he manned up and went to work like a man's supposed to do. But I will say that, you know, if, if Miz was injured, that's a different story. Or if his fever got so high they had to kick him out of there, that's different. But John Morrison, you know, still put on one hell of a match. And Kofi Kingston and Jimmy Uso did the same thing. And I like the fact that John, that they all had to go in there and wrestle on behalf of their team. Rather than cancel the whole match. So we had a triple threat ladder match and it was off the chain. John Morrison uh, got a chance to showcase himself in a damn good way. Especially since this is John Morrison's first WrestleMania and I think nine years, if I remember correctly. I think WrestleMania 27 was the last WrestleMania uh, John Morrison took part in. And it was great to see John actually get the spotlight in this match. Because he showed off his parkour skills and a lot of phenomenal stuff happening with the ladder. Kofi Kingston, of course, also pulling out all the stops to bring the belts home. with the Where he, where he springboard off the ropes and went for Hurricane and nailed a Hurricane on John Morrison. I thought was great. And then, of course, John Morrison with the Spanish fly was insane. And... You know, Jimmy Uso countering with the, uh, you know, Uso splash. And these guys, just amazing. But what really impressed me, besides all the, the ladder match violence and the, you know, the back and forth, was the finish was something different. You know, all three men unhooked the, the yellow hook off with the titles off the thing. And they're fighting over it to see who's going to get possession of it and everything else. And then Morris, and then Jimmy and Kofi hit Morrison with a headbutt. And as Morrison falls on the ladder below, he grabs a hold of the titles. The titles rip off the hook, and he brings the titles down with him as he lands 
on the ladder. So while Kofi and Jimmy look on in disbelief, we find out that Morrison grabbed the titles off the hook. Therefore, John Morrison and The Miz remain the tag team champions. So John Morrison was able to retain the titles on behalf of his, you know, on behalf of his team. And I think that's awesome. Because obviously, if The Miz shows up on the next SmackDown, obviously he's going to be bragging about the fact that they're still the tag team champs. And if Miz is still out of action, then Morrison can obviously hold both belts and celebrate on his own until The Miz makes his return. Then he gives the belt back to The Miz. Or unless this is going to start a breakup between them, I don't know. But either way, John Morrison got a great WrestleMania moment uh, since this is his first WrestleMania back. And John Morrison's an incredible talent. And I'm glad that he won because the Usos and the New Day, they've been SmackDown Tag Team Champions way too many times. It's like, look, the New Day, they've done overkill with the tag belts. They don't need them anymore. The Usos, I would still want them to be Tag Team Champions, but not on SmackDown. I'd rather they go to Raw. But so Morrison and The Miz, they deserve this more. And I'm excited that, you know, we got a different team dominating the SmackDown tag team division for once. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. This match was another total and complete waste of airtime. I'm sorry, I did not enjoy this match at all. The match had some decent moments like the Falcon Arrow from Seth Rollins to Kevin Owens on the ring apron and, you know, Seth Ro- and Seth Ro- Kevin Owens demanding a rematch from Seth Rollins after he hit him with the ring bell to cause disqualification and then jumping off the WrestleMania sign and putting Seth Rollins through the announce table. So there were some good moments in the match, but overall it sucked. I felt like there was no excitement. We didn't see any, you know, craziness outside the ring, even though there have been interference countless wise outside and obviously I know I'm not usually the biggest fan of interference in matches in most cases but if you're not going to have it at least put a stipulation saying everyone's banned from ringside like this would have been a lot better if Samoa Joe had been able to get involved or if the you know the Viking Raiders could have got involved the authors of pain Murphy it's like where the hell are these guys they're nowhere to be found and I still say if Rollins and Murphy had the tag belts and Owens and Samoa Joe had won the tag belts at WrestleMania, this rivalry would have meant more because just having these two one-on-one was stupid because nothing really special happened except for Kevin Owens diving off the WrestleMania sign. Which, yeah, that's great. It's awesome. It's a WrestleMania moment, but the rest of this match was nothing to remember. So basically, years from now, when they show classic moments of Mania, they're just going to show Owens diving off that sign. The rest of this match is easily forgotten. It's garbage. So, I'm sorry. This match was a waste of time. It was a terrible match. The finishes sucked. It wasn't special. This did not deserve to be at WrestleMania. And it was basically just there for filler. This was, this was basically another bathroom break if you needed to go to the bathroom. So, take that for what you will. And on that note, I'm going to move on to the next match of the evening for the Universal Championship. Goldberg defends the title against Braun Strowman. Okay, this match to me was another waste. And I'll tell you why. I love Goldberg. I'm a huge Goldberg fan. And I knew Goldberg was gonna lo- is going to lose the Universal title eventually. But I didn't want him to lose it to Braun Strowman. You know, I when I heard that Braun Strowman was going to replace Goldberg, I was under the impression that Goldberg was going to retain the title and then save it to SummerSlam and have Roman take it there. Because I believe Goldberg versus Roman Reigns is a great money-making match. 
the spear versus spear um, option is a great way, is a great money maker. It's a great way to get these two wrestlers to really go at it and just have a battle of the spears and whose spear is stronger. And having Roman Reigns uh, win the Universal Title, the title he never lost, was great. Would have been great. Now, obviously, Roman had his reasons for pulling out of Mania, and I respect them 100%. I want to make that very clear. I know that he, you know, ha- has a weak immune system because of his battle with leukemia, and he chose to pull out of WrestleMania. He asked, he asked not to be part of it, and WWE granted him his request, and he he was out of Mania. But I don't feel like Braun Strowman should have won this. Like Braun Strowman obviously wins the Universal Title after countering the Jackhammer and hitting uh, about three or four pow- running power slams and gets the pinfall victory. But to me, I don't think Strowman should have won this way because Braun Strowman had no build up to this match. He did nothing to earn the Universal Title, and everybody's just high on the fact that Braun should have won the title years ago. But he hadn't done much in the coming weeks to really deserve this title. Not only that, they basically killed off any chance of Goldberg versus Roman Reigns meaning anything. Now they're just going to fight without a title. Also, here's the other issue. At some point, whether we like it or not, Roman Reigns is getting that title back. He's never lost the Universal title. He surrendered it due to having leukemia. That's why I wanted Roman to take the belt off of Goldberg. Because if Roman had taken the belt off of Bray Wyatt, the fa- the boos would have started all over again. Fans would have gone back to booing Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns does not deserve to be booed in any way, shape, or form. Not just because he came back from leukemia, but because he actually is a great talent in the ring. He's a genuine great wrestler. And the fact that Goldberg beat The Fiend to win that title only to take it off of Strowman, it's stupid. Because now, at some point down the road, Roman might have to face Braun Strowman. And what's going to happen if Roman Reigns beats Braun Strowman for the Universal title? I'll tell you what's going to happen. All the Braun Strowman marks are going to boo Roman out of the building. Because Roman will have beaten Braun Strowman, a guy that everyone believes deserved to be Universal Champion. It's, it's fucking pointless. This is a bad idea because it's going to cause more grief for Roman Reigns that he doesn't need. I'm sorry. Braun Strowman is not a top guy. He's not. Yeah, he's big. He's muscular. He's a monster. But his promos aren't that great. Every now and then, he cuts a decent promo. But for the most part, he sucks. On the mic, there is no consistency with Braun Strowman. This is a bad idea. Because now, you got Braun Strowman running around the championship. Goldberg basically having no credibility. He just lost to Braun Strowman, a guy who was getting his ass kicked week after week and lost his Intercontinental title in a three-on-one handicap match, which normally I would feel sorry for. But when you're a big guy going up against three little guys and you're confident that you can beat all three of these little guys and you get your ass kicked, I'm sorry. I can't feel bad for you. Kayfabe or not, it's stupid. So I feel like this was a bad idea and it's going to hurt the Universal title in the long run when Roman Reigns comes back to fight for that belt. So I feel like they should have just had Goldberg win and drop the title to Reigns at a later date. It would have been a much better, much safer way to do this. Yeah, fans would have gotten mad at the time, but they would have been happier when eventually Roman took it off him. Now they bat themselves to another corner where what the hell are they going to do? And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have the Boneyard match. The Undertaker versus AJ Styles. And this was an awesome, awesome match. AJ Styles shows up in a hearse coming out of a coffin. He pops out of a coffin. The Undertaker arrives on a motorcycle and walks through the fog. And he looks just like he did when he was the American badass. Bandana and all. Trash talking throughout. 
And these two beat the shit out of each other in a graveyard. They went to a graveyard. And these guys literally were ready to kill each other. I mean, these guys were trash talking, cussing. Undertaker giving the finger to AJ Styles. This was epic. At one point, he goes to hit AJ. He moves out of the way. He he breaks a car window, gets blood all over him, looks down at his arm and goes, son of a bitch. Like, he's frustrated now. And then he starts talking trash and all this other shit. And at one point, you know, Gals and Anderson come in for backup. But all of a sudden, out comes this. They knock this door down. And all these little druids come out. And The Undertaker beats the shit out of all of them. And then, of course, at one point, AJ Styles literally has The Undertaker, like, spears him through a through a, the side of a shed. And The Undertaker's running out of breath. And, you know, AJ's talking about, you don't have it anymore, old man. And all that other shit and then he hits the Undertaker with a shovel he falls into the grave AJ says ashes to ashes dust to dust hops onto a tractor he's about to pour dirt on the Undertaker but somehow he appears from behind him out of nowhere then next thing you know they're battling on the roof of this barn and then the Undertaker says this is what you asked for right and then choke slams him off the barn through a table on the floor and just like boom takes him out Undertaker tells Styles they were just getting started, picked him up. The Undertaker drops him next to the grave. AJ Styles starts apologizing, and he's like begging for his life. And the Undertaker told Styles to go out like an to go out like a man, grabbed him by the throat. Styles asked Taker not to bury him, and he said he's not going to do that. Undertaker hugged AJ and said, "You fought your ass off. You're a good brother. Like you know you you know you gave me a hell of a fight, man. You's tough." Then the Undertaker boots AJ Styles to the grave, starts there's the track, starts the tractor, pours the dirt on top of Styles. Got out the tractor and be able to headstone as AJ Styles 1977 to 2020. The Undertaker puts on his bandana, raised his fist, flames are up behind him, rides off on his motorcycle, and The Undertaker wins the match. Um, I will say this. I loved the concept of the Boneyard match. And I love the fact that because WrestleMania was taped, they were able to do exciting shit with it. Like, the vibe that I got from this was kind of like Matt Hardy's deletion videos. Which, again, leads me to believe that Jeremy Borash is playing a role behind the scenes in filming this and making it happen. It had a final deletion or ultimate deletion type vibe to it with this Boneyard match. The way it was shot, the way it was filmed, the delivery of everything, the battling, the action. It was an amazing amazing match in that regard and AJ Styles did give the fight of his life against The Undertaker you know at one point it looked like he was gonna win and I will say this as much as I loved the match as much as I loved seeing the American Badass Undertaker doing what he does best as the American Badass I don't like the finish at all and I'm gonna tell you why a few months ago in Saudi Arabia the Undertaker choke slammed AJ Styles and pinned him one, two, three. Didn't even take off his hat and his trench coat. It was the most embarrassing squash I have ever seen in wrestling history, hands down, that I've ever seen. If there's one that's worse, it's only because I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to watch it and then go, yeah, that's worse. But until then, this is the worst squash I've ever seen. I truly believe AJ Styles got buried in that moment. And I said the only way for AJ Styles to come out of that would be to win at WrestleMania. So the fact that The Undertaker beat AJ Styles so easily at Super Showdown and then we have him win here at WrestleMania, even though AJ put up a hell of a fight, it still doesn't matter. 
AJ Styles literally and figuratively got buried in this match. He literally buried him because he put him in a grave, poured dirt on it. So obviously AJ Styles got quote-unquote buried, but he also buried his career. Because I don't see how AJ Styles can recover from this. I don't see how AJ Styles can be taken seriously as a badass after this. A guy that you called an old man... A guy that you insulted six ways from Sunday just kicked your ass royally in a Boneyard match. You lost to The Undertaker. And The Undertaker doesn't need this win. The Undertaker has nothing to gain from beating AJ Styles. There is nothing to gain from this. You're not building The Undertaker up for a title match. You're not building The Undertaker up for a big money-making match. The Undertaker is just there. When are we ever going to see The Undertaker again? Is he going to show up at the next pay-per-view? Is he going to be on SmackDown? Is he going to be on Raw? No, he's not going anywhere. He's going to go away until the next Saudi Arabia show, and then he'll be there to wrestle another match where he's going to win for no pointless reason. This was stupid. This is a moment to put over AJ Styles. This was a moment to make AJ Styles a star. Not that he's not a star already, but making an even bigger star by putting a big victory on him by The Undertaker. Because as The Undertaker already said, he has way more matches behind him than he does in front of him. There's nothing left for The Undertaker to do. There's no reason The Undertaker needs another win. There isn't one. There's no logical reason whatsoever to give The Undertaker a win at Mania. No one's been able to give me a solid answer to that question, why he deserves a win, other than the fact that people just love The Undertaker. Well, that's not good enough. This was supposed to be AJ Styles' moment. Now, I will say, leading up to that final moment of that match, this was highly entertaining. I love this Boneyard match. I love the concept of the Boneyard match. I hope we see a match like this again down the road in the future. But AJ Styles should have got the win here. AJ should have walked out from that Boneyard the victor. Because at least then, AJ Styles could carry that over to another victory, another rivalry, and another title reign. Because AJ Styles was money. Now, he's worth nothing. He has no value anymore. Because Taker buried him. Alright, now ladies and gentlemen, we'll wrap up the first half of WrestleMania. I'm going to take a short break here. And when I come back, we will be talking about the second day the second half of WrestleMania 36, the two-night event here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this.
Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song For Those About to Rock, We Salute You by the legendary ACDC. And the reason I chose this song for the commercial break is because even though Blinding Lights, which I played at the beginning of this uh, recap, was the official theme song of WrestleMania 36, this song was played during the opener, the opening, like, trailer, where they try to, you know, get you hyped up and excited for WrestleMania, and they had a lot of, like, pirate-like themes, like, kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean mixed with Aquaman type of shit, and this was the song that was playing, and I can tell you right now, it was the perfect song to choose for that particular trailer. It was, it got you amped up, it got you excited to enjoy WrestleMania, and that was something that WWE really needed to do, was get people amped up and excited, especially since we were watching a WrestleMania that was taped in advance in multiple locations with no crowd. So this was a WrestleMania where they really had to play to the audience at home because there was no crowd. So they really had to go all out to make this entertaining. And while people can debate whether or not WrestleMania should have been postponed or whatever, I believe WWE made the right decision to go forward with WrestleMania. And I enjoyed the production overall that they put on. And this was me as someone who bought tickets to the event and was pissed off when it got, you know, canceled to the public. If I can say that, I think anybody else can say that. And that was ACDC with, for those who are about to rock, we salute you here on the Boochcast. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we will now get started with night number two of WrestleMania 36. This is night number two, and we're going to kick things off with the first official match of this particular evening. And we had a match that, oh my god, hide the women and the children and the number zero because I'm about to go on the fucking warpath. The NXT Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley defends the title against Charlotte Flair. Words cannot describe how fucking disgusted I am with this match. I am extremely pissed off at the fact that Charlotte won. Once again, the false flair has been given another championship that she did not earn, that she did not deserve. And once again, somebody else had to be buried in order for the false flair to be put on this pedestal that she is put on simply because of who her father is. Now, before anybody starts going off on me, because I just had an argument with Elvis over this earlier. Elvis called me uh, during WrestleMania at one point. Um, as a matter of fact, he called me during the match that took place after this so I had to kind of mute that because Elvis had a lot to say and we were heavily debating over this during that match I still watched it but I couldn't hear what was going on because of the debate we had with Elvis and so I'm gonna say this as angry as I am that Charlotte won this match and believe me I am fucking angry I will admit the match itself was great. As far as storytelling, as far as psychology goes, the match was done well that way. But the fact that Charlotte Flair took the title prevented me from enjoying the match. And I'll tell you why. When you go to see a movie, I'm going to I'm gonna best describe it like this. When you go to see a movie, you can see a great movie. From beginning in the middle, they could tell the most compelling story in the world. It could have your attention. You could be glued to that screen. You could be on the edge of your seat. But if the end... Ending to that movie sucks, 
You walk out being angry. You walk out disappointed because they took you on this journey and the climactic moment was killed. And if that's not a good enough example, I'll use this one. Imagine going on a road trip. You're going on a road trip to like Disneyland. So you go to Disneyland and you could enjoy the journey. You could sing all the songs, play all the games, hangman, license plates, you know, the I Spy, whatever road trip games that you play. I know that, you know, all the fun shit there. But then you get to Disneyland and it's closed. Or you get to Disneyland and you find out that some of the rides are shut down that you really want to go on. Or let's say you go to Disneyland and some of the characters aren't there. You don't see Mickey Mouse. You don't see Donald Duck. You don't see Goofy. You don't see any of the Disney princes or princesses or anything like that. You're going to be disappointed on some level. Yeah, you might have you might have had fun on the drive over, but once you got to the destination, it was an epic failure. Or to put it in better terms, let's say you're having sex. And, I'll, and this is mostly going to be for the women. Maybe some of the guys too. Say you're having sex with this, you're having sex, you know, and you're banging away and you're fucking this girl or fucking this guy or whatever, and you're having this great sexual experience, but you don't reach orgasm. Now, ladies, if you, you could have incredible sex with a guy who could fuck you nine ways a Sunday. If he doesn't make you come, is that really a guy you're going to call again? No, you probably won't. You're not going to, it doesn't matter what positions he did, what impressive stuff he might've done. If you don't reach climax, you're not calling that guy back. Guys, pretty sure you're doing the same thing. You're probably not going to call that girl back if she can't make you come. So that's the point I'm trying to make. doesn't matter how great the match was. If the finish sucks, the match sucks. And Charlotte Flair has no business being the NXT Women's Champion. This every And the only reason people were even excited about this match was because, like I said before, everyone was delusional enough to think that this was going to be the night that Rhea Ripley got the rub. That Charlotte was going to do the, the honors and put over Rhea Ripley and build another star. But see, I knew better. I knew that anytime Charlotte's involved in a title match, it's all about Charlotte. Charlotte does not give a fuck about building a women's division. She cares about building herself. She is someone who is 100% unoriginal. Nothing is special about her. She is basically copies her dad in every facet. And people are going to tell me, well, it's not Charlotte's fault that her last name is Flair. You're right. It isn't. But she could still carve out a gimmick that's regular and normal and authentic to her. But no, she just copies all her dad's shit. There's nothing special about Charlotte Flair except the fact that she's a worker. That's all she is. But her entire gimmick is her dad. She has no original gimmick of her own. She is not somebody that should be main eventing matches. She is somebody that's basically she has all the traits to me of enhancement talent. But she's a flair, so she'll never be enhancement talent. She's going to get to where she is because of her name. This is a perfect opportunity to make Rhea Ripley the next big NXT star, especially since she just whooped Shayna Baszler's ass. But instead, they gave it to Charlotte. And here's the thing. I knew Charlotte was going to win this match. I really did. And here's why I know she's going to win. Because, for those of you who may not know, AEW has been dominating the Wednesday Night War with NXT. NXT has had a couple of days where they got bigger ratings than AEW. But in general, AEW has been slapping NXT around and calling it Susie. It's been embarrassing for NXT. And they have tried to throw every trick in the book to try and compete with AEW, and they're not getting it done. And if there's one thing Vince McMahon cannot stand and will not tolerate, it is losing a ratings war. So trust me when I tell you, this is a Vince McMahon idea. 
At some point, Vince McMahon is going to rip NXT away from Triple H and he is going to start dipping his hands and his toes in the water and he is going to start fidgeting with NXT. And I believe that they think Charlotte Flair is so big of a name that if they put her on NXT, that will make people want to tune in to NXT. And hopefully that will generate some ratings and maybe that will make people want to defect from AEW to NXT. And in a way, I get it because, you know, one of the things we've always talked about is the weakest part of AEW is their women's division. So I guess they thought if we strengthen our women's division a little bit more, that'll gravitate people over. What they don't understand is for what what AEW lacks in their women's division, they excel at everything else. Their tag team division is second to none. Their singles division is great. It might not be the most amazing in all of wrestling, but it is great enough to get people's attention. And this is a dumb idea. This is an opportunity to build a new star, but instead it was an, they used it as an opportunity to shove the false flare down our throats. And I don't support it at all. I'm disgusted by this. In fact, I'll be straight up honest right now. If it wasn't for John Tumblin, I would quit NXT. Straight up. I would not even acknowledge NXT on this show anymore. I would pretty much put an end to the Wednesday Night War. If John quits the Boochcast, and I hope he doesn't because I consider John Tumblin a valued asset to this show, I love having him on here. I love it. He's a great friend of mine. He has a great mind for wrestling. He makes me want to watch NXT even during times where I don't really enjoy it. He was the one that got me hooked back on NXT when I stopped watching it two years ago. You know, I would only watch the takeovers and I would only watch them with him because he got me to love NXT again. And now I'm back on the decline because of this shit. This was fucking bullshit. It should not have been done. And it was a terrible, terrible business decision because they are now going to bury their entire women's division under Charlotte Flair. Mark my words. This is so terrible that I can't even look forward to the number one contender six-woman ladder match because I believe whoever wins that ladder match is just going to get fed to Charlotte. I can't even enjoy that women's ladder match anymore. So that's all I got to say about this match. I can ramble on about this for the whole entire show, but I don't want to talk about the one thing that pissed me off about this entire fucking program. All I know is John owes me big time for sitting through this shit show because I didn't even want to watch it. I did not want to watch this match at all. I had no interest in it. I was disgusted by it. It made me want to puke. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And on that note, I'm going to move on to the next match of the evening. We had Aleister Black going one-on-one against Bobby Lashley. Honestly, I expected this match to be boring and quick. But surprisingly, this was actually a great match. And it was interesting because obviously this is the first time we've seen Bobby Lashley in a long time. And for those of you who may not know, Bobby Lashley had been quarantined for a period of time because he went on a promotional tour in Africa. WWE was doing some promotional stuff in Africa. They sent Bobby Lashley out there. So when he came back, he had to be quarantined for a while to make sure he didn't contract the coronavirus. Obviously, he's been medically cleared because he showed up at WrestleMania. He had Lana in his corner, which I still can't believe they're even bothering to keep this storyline going because nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. They, they, they don't do well as a couple. It's fucking stupid. But anyway, Bobby Lashley put on a great match against Aleister Black. I mean, these guys literally were trading shots back and forth. They were literally kicking ass and taking names on each other. And Bobby
Bobby Lashley was really doing very well. It actually looked like Bobby Lashley was going to win this match. You know, you know, uh, so he, uh, you know, Lashley quickly, you know, battled back like he was going to do like a dominator move. But Lana climbed up and demanded that Lashley hit a spear. So he dropped her, kind of points at her, gives a little wink, and he sets up for the spear. But as he goes for the spear, Aleister Black counters with the black mask, gets the one, two, three, and the winner of the match is Aleister Black. And then, of course, um, Lashley and Lana kind of glare at each other after the match. And I can't help but wonder if this is going to lead to a breakup between Bobby Lashley and Lana. Because I feel like if, the, if it's going to lead to a breakup, uh, that breakup is long overdue. Because, like I said, no one's buying into this storyline. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. It's The whole thing with them and Rusev was a complete waste of TV time. And it was boring from start to finish. Even when they tried to mix it up and make it interesting... Nothing good came out of it. It was just shit. And obviously, Aleister Black gets another victory, which, you know, I, I don't see the point really in pushing Aleister Black because I don't see anything special coming from him. At this point, he's gotten so many victories, he needs some type of championship belt around his waist. Something. Whether he teams back up with Ricochet and they go for the tag team titles, or if he decides to become the United States champion, or if he becomes WWE champion. Bob, uh, Aleister Black, sorry, needs a championship belt at this point. All he's doing is beating up jobbers every week, with the exception of Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles. He's basically been fighting jobbers when he's not fighting anybody credible. And it's getting to the point where fans are annoyed, nobody wants to see it, and it's no longer impressive. So, if you're not going to put a title on Aleister Black, then you might as well not have him on TV at all. Because watching him get victory after victory after victory with no championship belt around his waist of any kind is goddamn ridiculous. But either way, this was surprisingly a good match. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. Um, I loved this match. I loved it. This was a very well done match. What I found the most intriguing was that Sonya Deville accompanied Dolph Ziggler to the ring. Especially now that we know that they were in cahoots the whole time trying to break up Otis and Mandy in the hopes of getting Dolph Ziggler to go out with Mandy Rose. So they both kind of set this up. And then of course on SmackDown, Mandy basically walked away from the whole thing. She couldn't look at Sonya Deville anymore. Sonya was trying to convince Mandy that she was still her best friend but uh mandy wanted none of it and otis obviously made him want to fight Dolph ziggler even more because he realized ziggler was in fact the guy manipulating the scenes and just overall this match was great you know ziggler put up a hell of a fight otis also put up a hell of a fight and then um you know at one point you know uh, otis went for the caterpillar but sonya deville hopped on the apron distracted him ziggler hit a low blow otis hit the ground all of a sudden mandy rose comes marching down the ramp and she immediately attacks uh sonya deville just straight up uh you know just slapped her knocked her out gets on the ring apron she hits dolph ziggler with a low blow while the ref's distracted otis hits his you know caterpillar with which is his version of the worm. Hits the elbow, gets the pinfall victory, and then after the match, Mandy gave Otis a hug and raised his hand. Otis then picked up Mandy, and they kissed to end the match. And 
This was out of was the one match out of all the matches that took place that I would have loved to have seen the crowd there. This is the one match that deserved a crowd reaction because it was a great WrestleMania moment. Probably possibly one of the best WrestleMania moments ever. You know, like I said, the match itself, you, we probably won't remember, but Otis finally getting the girl was great. Like, this was a romantic storyline done right. This is how you do it, okay? This is how you put it together. Because it was Otis, you know, the uh, the lovable, ugly guy that, you know, wants the pretty girl. But the jock, in this case Dolph Ziggler, you know, is basically saying no one's going to want to lose her like you. She's mine. And then he's, like, manipulating the scenes to get her to be with her. But then all of a sudden, you know, they find out that it's all a lie. And she leaves the asshole. And the good guy gets the girl. Like, this storyline was epic. And... You know, obviously, I would still like to know who the masked man was that revealed the truth. I don't know if we'll ever find out who that was or if that's just going to be a moot point. But either way, this was a great, great WrestleMania moment. And I'm intrigued to see what happens down the line. Like, I think maybe at a pay-per-view somewhere, whether it's Money in the Bank, which apparently they announced at the next pay-per-view on May 10th. So I don't know if things are going to be back to normal by then. But if they're not, then they'll probably just do it in front of with no crowd at all, which either way, I'll be fine with. I'll watch it still, but maybe at some point, maybe at SummerSlam, we'll see some kind of mixed tag match at some point. Like, maybe we'll see Otis and Mandy versus Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville. Now, obviously, Dolph and Sonya are not going to be involved in a romantic storyline because obviously nothing romantic was happening between them. Plus, Sonya Deville is a known lesbian, so to put a lesbian with a straight guy in a romantic storyline would get too many letters. They gonna get letters, so there's a lot of LGBT people are going to be pissed off at the fact that they would put a lesbian with a straight guy even though wrestling is you know also acting in a way which some wrestlers don't like when I say that but it's the truth you know the only difference is that you know unlike actors wrestlers don't have stunt doubles so they actually take the bumps themselves and feel the actual pain as opposed to acting on a movie set where you don't feel where you feel very little to no pain at all so I will say there's a difference but as far as gimmicks and characters there's acting involved so you know, there's that. So that romantic moment, which I'm watching over and over again on this GIF, is amazing. And this was the capitalize on the story. Like, this was great storytelling. Like, it, it had that epic moment that was so great that, if I'll be honest, if if I had been there at Tampa, if Elvis, Desmond, and I had been there in Tampa, we would have popped for that kiss. We would have, that crowd would have erupted at that point. They would have probably been chanting, you deserve her. Like they would, they would have gone nuts. I know I would have. It was very entertaining. This was a a great romantic storyline done right. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening in a last man standing match. Edge goes one-on-one against Randy Orton. This, ladies and gentlemen, was the match of the night. Bar none, hands down, the match of the night. I don't, I, I, there was no match on the card that did better than this. Obviously, it dragged on for a long period of time, and I know some fans were complaining about that, and some people said it fell a little flat. I, I disagree. I feel like it, the only reason it felt like it dragged on is because they were doing a lot of insane spots, but to me... I felt like it did the appropriate amount of time because they were they were dragging WrestleMania out over the course of two nights. So they still had a lot of time to fill. And with a last man standing match, you can do more. 
And I think that they really wanted to show that Edge truly was healed from the neck injury. And after watching the WWE 24 that I saw earlier with Edge, um, I can honestly say Edge feels like a million bucks, looks like a million bucks, and could draw a million bucks with this match and if he continues on the road that he's going. I know we haven't seen the last of Edge, and Edge proved in this match that while there are certain things he's not going to be able to do anymore, he proved that he can still put on good, decent matches even at this stage in the career. And I love the fact that Randy Orton showed up with an RKO out of nowhere to kick off the match, and there was like two RKOs. So it looked like at some point we were going to see a quick last man standing match. But then at one point, they're battling around the Performance Center, which had me thinking, oh crap, is this going to be like Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano? And no, because it wasn't as br- it, w- it wasn't as crazy of a fight. Like, they were still brutal towards each other, but they didn't wreck any of the Performance Center equipment like Gargano and Ciampa did in that, you know, fight around the arena. But at, at one point, Edge actually grabbed onto, like, these this pull-up bar and was swinging on it and then landed on Randy Orton, who he had sitting in a chair. I thought that moment moment was great. I also enjoyed the moment where he was climbing up the ladder to the top of that scaffolding thing and doing an elbow drop to Randy Orton who was laying on a table. I thought that was epic. And then of course just then fighting all around the uh, performance center slamming into walls and stuff. At one point a cameraman got knocked down and they're hitting each other with every weapon they can find. And then at one point Randy Orton does his draping DDT but he does it onto the bed of a pickup truck. Then they get on top of this NXT production truck and Edge hits a spear on Orton damn near crushes his ribs. Then he goes to hit another spear, but Randy Orton hits an RKO, plants Edge, goes down, goes underneath a ladder, ironically, uh, grabs a couple steel chairs, slowly climbs back up, uh, goes to hit a concerto, uh, but Edge dodges it, hits him with another spear, then chokes him out, does like a triangle like choke thing that Jake Hagar does in AEW, and knocks him out. Then as soon as he knocks him out, he hits him with a concerto, but he's crying as he does it's almost like he doesn't want to do it but he realizes he has to do it to end this boom hits the concerto straight up knocks him out the referee counts to 10 and the winner of the match is now edge and i felt that edge definitely deserved this victory uh because you know this is edge's first night back in wwe and after watching the uh wwe 24 with edge that came on a little bit after uh wrestlemania i can honestly say that edge was more than ready for this match and after all the stuff that he went through realizing that he could get back in the ring and finally doing it and now knowing that there are limitations on what he can and can't do anymore Edge has now truly seen what he's capable of in that ring the things that he can still do and the things that he can't do now I'm pretty sure that a lot of the matches Edge is, Edge is going to have going forward are not going to be as brutal as this last man standing match and I think it's safe to say whatever feud he had with Orton this is finally over over because I don't see any way they could top it but I am looking forward to seeing what other matches Edge is going to have down the road whether or not he dares to do a ladder match which I don't think he should do personally I, I think Edge's ladder days are behind him I wouldn't even put him in the money in the bank ladder match because he's already won that fucking thing twice so there's no reason for Edge to be a money in the bank winner again um, also I feel like the rivalries he is going to have down the road are all going to be very interesting I want to see you know him colliding with AJ Styles I think is going to be epic him and Randy Roman Reigns sorry are going to be epic I feel like him and a few others are going to be interesting um 
Um, you know, the hell, there's even a part of me that would love to see him get in the ring with Goldberg just for another spear versus spear type of thing. I mean, granted, Goldberg would probably win that one, but either way, it would still be interesting to see going forward. I feel like there's going to be a lot of great matches for Edge down the line, and um, we've now seen what Edge can do, and after surviving this match, we now know his neck is fully intact, and he can go with the best of them at 46 years old. So I look forward to seeing more from Edge in the future. I can't wait to see what comes down the road for the Radar Superstar. And on that note, we are going to move on to the next match of the evening for the Raw Tag Team titles. The Street Profits put the titles on the line against Austin Theory and Angel Garza with Zelina Vega in their corner. And I got to say, this is a pretty decent tag team match. You know, I like the chemistry between all the guys in the ring. Um, I love the fact that the Street Profits uh, got the victory. I felt they deserved it because the Street Profits are the most over tag team in all of WWE right now. I, I consider them the top tag team. If you ask me who's better between all the tag teams on Raw, all the tag teams on SmackDown, even the ones on NXT, I dare say the Street Profits are the best. They're the best in the ring. They're the best on the mic. They ooze charisma. You can't help but be around them, and you can't help but want the smoke when you see the Street Profits. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, Austin Theory hit his TKO on Dawkins. Um, Ford came off the top rope with a frog splash to break up the pin. Angelo just simply rolled over, put his arm on Theory. One, two, three. The Street Profits retain the titles. And then, of course, Garza Theory and Zelina Vega, after the match, attacked the Street Profits. All of a sudden, Bianca Belair comes down to the ring to make the save. She plants Zelina with the KOD and then celebrates with the Street Profits which is kind of interesting because for those of you who may not know outside of the ring uh, Bianca Belair and Montez Ford are actually married in real life they got married like two years ago so it makes sense for her to want to back up the Street Profits and I'm intrigued to see what all this means like is this a rivalry that's going to continue past Wrestlemania because the only reason Austin Theory and Angel Garza are even on the main roster is because of Andrade Uh, Angel Garza came in for Andrade when he failed a drug test and Austin Theory came in because Andrade was injured. So what happens when Andrade comes back? Like, how long is Andrade out for is the question, because I feel like Angel Garza and Austin Theory, they're not ready to be called up from NXT. Austin Theory just got on NXT TV. He's not ready for a call-up this early. It's way too fast, way too much too soon. I don't think he's ready. Angel Garza has barely even gotten his feet wet in NXT. I mean, granted, he's a former NXT Cruiserweight champion, but I feel like there's still so much left for him to do down there as a cruiserweight, I feel like calling him up to Raw, eventually he'll just get lost in the sauce. So I think it's a bad idea. But I also want to know this is going to be a call-up for Bianca Belair because there's a part of me that doesn't want Bianca to leave NXT because I still want her to be NXT Women's Champion. But now that... Charlotte Flair has now been forced into the NXT women's division and now that she is basically going to bury the entire women's division underneath her boots, I'm convinced of that. Um, I don't want Bianca in NXT if that's the case. I'd rather her come to Monday Night Raw where I think she'll have a fighting chance of getting over because I feel like the NXT women's division is fucked. They're fucked. 
as I mentioned earlier. So I'm not going to get into that again. I've already talked about that enough, but I hope that this is an opportunity for Bianca Belair to start all over again because if they keep her in NXT, she'll just get buried under Charlotte like everybody else. So I don't know what this means, but if these are all call-ups, I feel like Garza and Fury are too early and Bianca Belair is getting out of there in a helicopter and a hail of gunfire. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We had a fatal five-way elimination match for the SmackDown Women's title. Bayley defends the gold against Tamina, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and Sasha Banks. This was surprisingly a good match. I didn't know what to expect. But I will say what I love most about this match is that every single elimination that took place was fought and earned. There weren't quick eliminations. There weren't any roll-ups. There weren't any stupid things like, oh, here's a massive big boot. And there's a one, two, three, like that bullshit they used to do in Survivor Series matches when they want to eliminate people quickly. No, everybody got eliminated the right way. You know, Tamina got knocked out with everybody's moves. You know, Tamina hit Banks with a super kick. Naomi hit Tamina with a stunner. Lacey Evans followed up with a moonsault. Then everyone hopped up on top of Tamina and pinned her one, two, three to get her out. Sasha Banks made got Naomi out by tapping her out to a bank statement after she was fighting off both Sasha and Bailey, who worked together throughout the match like we knew they would. Then, of course, it was down to the three of them. Uh, Banks and Bailey power bombed Evans. They went for a cover. Lacey kicked out of two. At one point, uh, Lacey did a roll-up. Looked like she was going to pin both of them at the same time, but they kicked out. Uh, then, Bailey tried to hit Lacey with a knee to the face. A knee to face. But accidentally hit Sasha. So Bailey then caught Lacey with a knee to face and got a near fall. And then, of course, Sasha got in the ring, got in Bailey's face. Bailey said it was a mistake. And Evans caught Sasha with the woman's right, got the pinfall elimination. Then Bailey watched the elimination, didn't even try to break it up, which I thought was fucking stupid. Lacey then hit Bailey with three clotheslines in a row, followed up with a neck breaker. Bailey launched Lacey into the ring post. She went for the cover. Evans kicked out. Lacey then hits a picture perfect, beautiful moonsault. Bailey kicks out of that, which, in my opinion, establishes Bailey as a tough bitch and then of course um, Sasha comes in the ring hits a backstabber Bailey then hits the rose plant gets the one two three and is still the Smackdown women's champion Sasha Banks then puts the title on her and raises her hand after the match so obviously her and Sasha are still a team following the miscues and everything but the fact of the matter is I think this is the beginning of the end for the Boston hug connection I think that Sasha's going to turn on Bailey very soon because I feel like Sasha's now realizing that Bailey is all about Bailey. Even though Bailey did do some moments in the match to help Sasha, like the knee to face was an accident. And she did try to push Lacey out of the way, but then she ricocheted over and still knocked out Sasha. So Bailey wasn't completely heartless, but she also did not try to break up that pinfall and left herself alone at the mercy of Lacey Evans. So. There was that. But I think that I'm going to pay very close attention to the Money in the Bank ladder match. Like I said before, Money in the Bank is uh, going to be on May 10th. So I don't know if we're going to actually have a crowd there, depending on how much longer this COVID-19 crap goes on. But if there isn't, they'll just do it without a crowd. And either way, I'll still watch because I am going to be excited for it. You know, Although it is on Mother's Day, so I'm not sure 100% if I'll be able to watch it. It depends on whether or not I'm spending time with my mother. You know, we're going to have to see what's going on there. 
um, because obviously I want to spend time with my mom on Mother's Day like most sons do. You know, some sons don't want to. There's some that do. I'm one of the ones that do. Um, I don't consider that being a mama's boy. I just consider that when to spend time with your mom on an important day. So if we do spend time together, great. If we don't, then I'll watch the match, you know, obviously. So uh, we'll see if I do a pay-per-view recap of that online like I did with Mania, but we'll find out. That needs to be seen. But either way, I'm getting off tangent here. If Sasha is in that Money in the Bank ladder match, I do believe she's going to win, and I think she's going to cash in on it when Bailey least expects it, and that's when she'll take the title. So whether or not that will result in Sasha doing a face turn or a heel turn or some kind of double turn or whatever the fuck it is, you know, I feel like if there's a women Money in the Bank ladder match, I know there's going to be, but if Sasha's in it, Sasha will win, guaranteed. If she's not in that ladder match, then she'll have to find some other way to turn on Bailey. Because I feel like they're breaking up very, very soon. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. In a Firefly Funhouse match, John Cena goes one-on-one against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. And I think I can sum up this match for every wrestling fan when I say, what the fuck was that? That had to be... The craziest fucking thing I have ever seen. I mean, I couldn't have pictured a match like this if I took large amounts of LSD. Which I'm convinced the creative team was on an acid trip when they created this fucking thing. Now, when I say all this, I say this with love. Because I actually love this match. I enjoyed what they did here. And I like the fact that they took plenty of artistic liberties with this match. Considering the fact that this was not done in front of an audience, so they were creative. Because obviously the Boneyard match was very creative. It was done in a, you know, final deletion style. But this was something totally different. Uh, Basically, I'm going to walk through what happened. I have to. John Cena faced Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse match. Cena came to the entrance ramp and was about to say welcome to WrestleMania, but was interrupted by Bray Wyatt. Bray then opened the door, and when he closed it, Cena was in the Funhouse, which I actually enjoyed that part. When I saw Cena walking out to the ring, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because if that Firefly Funhouse match had happened inside that ring, and they tried to make, like, Funhouse shit happen around the ring, I would have been pissed off and disappointed. I was, I went into this expecting production, expecting crazy shit. I expected entertainment. I was not looking for a five-star match out of this. I was looking to be entertained when I hear a Firefly Funhouse match. So I love the fact that Cena ended up in the Funhouse. That made me feel better. Then, of course, Ramblin' Rabbit shows up. Cena's looking around, seeing all the different puppets before Ramblin' Rabbit pops up and basically tells Cena that Bray went through that door and to follow him there. So Cena opens the door, and we finally get to see what's on the other side of that Funhouse door that Bray keeps walking in and out of. So... Cena walks to the door, enters the fun house, and it's a dark room, and he's kind of looking around, and he's still got his hat and his shirt and the towel in his pocket, which I thought was stupid. I figured he would have at least took that shit off before he walked in. And then all of a sudden, the Vince McMahon puppet appears and starts poking Cena. The puppet asks John if he has enough ruthless aggression to succeed in this company and demanded that he show him or he is fired. Because Bray said before he went through the uh, door that the biggest opponent John Cena has is himself. So Bray Wyatt's in, and he does kind of a Kurt Angle impression, and they kind of show Kurt Angle challenging anyone to come through the locker room 
anyone in the locker room to come down to the ring. Because when John Cena first debuted in WWE, it was during a Kurt Angle Open Invitational. He was having an open challenge. And he came out to the ring, and Kurt Angle basically said, what do you think, you, what is the one quality that you possess that makes you think you can come into the ring and face the very best in the business? And Cena went, ruthless aggression! And then he slapped Kurt Angle, and the match began. So Bray Wyatt's kind of impersonating that. So all of a sudden, John Cena shows up in front of the SmackDown fist, which they pulled out of storage, and Cena is standing there, in the in orange and blue matching tights. Basically, the kind the, the exact shit that he wore when he first came out to the ring to challenge Kurt Angle. The only difference is he had kind of a red um tights with a blue stripe. These were orange with a blue stripe. But he was kind of coming out to the ring just like that. And then as soon as he says, you know, John Cena's out of the ring in his old gear. And Bray asks Cena what makes him think he has what it takes to face Bray Wyatt. And he shouts, ruthless aggression. And then he goes to slap him, but Bray Wyatt ducks. And he kind of sings Nikki Bella's theme song. You can look, but you can't touch. And the McMahon puppet, uh, Mr. McBoss Man, and Mercy the Buzzer on commentary. And he's called Mercy Madness. You know, and they're on commentary for Saturday night's main event. Because, of course, he keeps saying ruthless aggression. And Bray keeps ducking and everything and the Nikki Bella thing was funny because obviously John Cena dated Nikki Bella for many years and they were engaged to be married before Nikki broke off the engagement but then we see this weird thing where they cut to uh you know a McMahon puppet that they're calling Mr. McBoss Man and Mercy the Buzzard who's basically Mercy Madness trying to do a Macho Man impression and they're on commentary for Saturday Night's main event they show the old promos for Saturday Night's main event and Muscle Man Wyatt appears with Cena and they basically cut a promo together and John Cena does so many curls until he couldn't lift his arms anymore and what i'm gonna do right now is you have to hear this shit to believe it it's hilarious so i'm gonna turn the speaker up here and i'm gonna play this for you guys And what's so funny about this is that the whole time they're cutting this promo, Cena is just lifting these dumbbells. And then at one point, he's just lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting. And then he gets to a point where he can't even lift his arms anymore because he's just killed himself with this you know, jacket with this, this whole, like, you know, jacking up the muscles and shit. It's like, and, and, and people can relate to that. Imagine lifting weights to the point where you can't even move your arms anymore because you've lifted so much. And then Bray asks, what you gonna do, brother, when you realize egomania has been running wild on you? 
basically saying that John Cena is egotistical. Then all of a sudden, John Cena transitions into the Doctor of Thugonomics, and he kind of wears the the same outfit that he wore at last year's WrestleMania when he confronted Elias and cut that rap promo on him. Then John Cena basically talks in rhyme. He basically does a disc about Husky Harris saying that, you know, this is weight that I can manage. Then he talks about adding that Bray is a slut for opportunity and is blowing every chance, basically being the edgy version of himself. Wyatt stated he has heard everything in life and still they are taking. Bray said Cena is the golden goose and gets unlimited chances. He claimed Cena was a bully and a horrible person because he was talking about how his raps hurt people's feelings. And you kind of see Cena having a moment. And then he talks about how he talks about like throwing a pack of nuts in Bray's face, basically saying, you know, I'm going to put my nuts dead in your face or something like that. And then charged at him. Bray then, you know, he misses. He fi- he gets a hold of the steel chain that was around Cena's neck, wraps up like a fist, and punches him in the face and knocks out Cena. Bray then brought up the fans wanting him at WrestleMania 30, and that was supposed to be prophecy fulfilled, but instead it's his grandest failure, and it shows the old Bray Wyatt in the rocking chair in the exact same outfit. Wyatt added that it was time to rewrite his own story, and he tries to hit Cena with the sister Abigail. Cena counters it, but then Wyatt hands Cena a chair and dares him to swing. Because remember, at WrestleMania 30, that was one of the things. Bray was trying to bring out the dark side of John Cena. He was trying to bring out that evil side of John that he believed was deep inside there. So when he had that chair, we all thought, is Cena going to hit him? Is Cena going to turn heel? Is Cena going to be evil? And he never did it. He never swung the chair. So this time he dares him to swing and Cena actually does it and Bray disappears. Then all of a sudden, it shows an episode of WCW Nitro for whatever fucking reason. And Wyatt is in an NWO Wolfpack shirt and a leather jacket, kind of doing an impression of Eric Bischoff and introduces John Cena. Johnny comes down to the ring like Hollywood Hogan. And the McMahon puppet said, this was such good shit. And John Cena's basically got an NWO hat on, an NWO shirt, old school, throwing up the two sweet. And he has a WCW World Heavyweight title with the NWO spray painted on it. He has like the old NWO belt. Cena then, at first, is like, you know, doing the whole bragging NWO thing, saying we are, we are in control. And like bragging and everything. And then all of a sudden, Cena tackles Wyatt, beats him down. But the Fiend then appears behind John. John and the Fiend locks in the mandible claw as Cena's own quote from SmackDown where he called Wyatt overhyped his plague talks about how I'm going to be bringing an end to the most overhyped, over-celebrated, biggest, you know, failure in existence. And basically, that's Wyatt calling Cena that. Then the Fiend hits Sister Abigail on John, applies the mandible claw, and then Bray Wyatt in the red sweater appears and counts the one, two, Three, and the winner of the match is The Fiend. And I loved this match. Like I said, I enjoyed the hell out of this. I mean, obviously there's a lot of wrestling purists out there that are going to hate this, that are going to bash this, that are going to give it a lot of shit. But I'm sorry. I love this. And... 
with the fact that there are no crowds uh, allowed at wrestling events or anything else for that matter until this COVID-19 crisis is averted, if they're able to still keep doing tapings, because I've been hearing rumors that after WrestleMania, we're not going to be seeing a lot because Florida is getting very strict on their policies. But I also know Triple H is talking closely with the people in charge in Florida trying to see what they can and can't do. But even after this whole crisis is over and fans are allowed back in the arenas and they can do shows in front of audiences, I hope they will do more segments like this. I hope we get to see more things like a Firefly Funhouse match, like a Boneyard match. You know, we get to see more of those things happen because this was highly entertaining. It really was. And at the end of it, it closed the story. Because at first you're like, what the fuck is going on? But then they realize this is Bray Wyatt using Cena's own words against him. That he was this overhyped, overprivileged, overcelebrated superstar. And Bray was finally going to eliminate him. What I'm the most intrigued is now that The Fiend has beaten John Cena. As well he should have. Because as much as I love John Cena, there's he doesn't... There's no reason for him to win this match. He's not going to be coming back for another storyline. He's not going to be here on a day-to-day basis. And he had already beaten Bray in the rivalry they had. This is the opportunity to fully put him over. Now, whether or not we ever see John Cena again, I'm pretty sure we will. Because... John still has a lot more left in the tank. He's just not going to go on a regular basis. But I want to see what happens to The Fiend going forward. Because John was the guy he was looking forward to getting in the ring. He was the guy that started Bray down this psychotic path. He was the guy that caused Bray Wyatt to lose his mind and give him his grandest failure. Well, Bray's finally overcome that. He overcame his biggest failure. He beat John Cena. And he beat him on his turf, under his rules, in a Firefly Funhouse match. So now, is Bray still going to be sick and twisted? Is Bray still going to be out for revenge? Or is The Fiend now going to have a different motive, a different objective than he had before? Are we going to see something different out of The Fiend? Because he just defeated his greatest rival. He just defeated the guy who started him down this crazy path. So, I want to see what The Fiend's mind mindset is going to be now that John Cena has been conquered. And on that note, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening for the WWE Championship. Brock Lesnar defended the title against Drew McIntyre. This was a fantastic match. Now, I know some people might be upset that the match was short. Some people might not like that it was, you know, not a knockdown, drag him out brawl because everybody wants to have matches that are 10, 15, 20 minutes in order to be satisfied. I, for one, was totally okay with this. I expected a quick match and was not disappointed. You know, Brock Lesnar fucking threw everything but the kitchen sink at Drew McIntyre and still it wasn't enough. I mean, you know, he hit those German suplexes. uh, He hit him with an F5 and Drew McIntyre kicked out at one on the first F5. He kicked out at one. That's when I knew Drew McIntyre was going to win this match and that if he didn't win this match, it was a fucking travesty. Now, I will admit on the third F5, I thought maybe that was going to end Drew McIntyre, but he kept kicking out. Now, the first time he kicked out at one, but the other times he kicked out at two. But in the end, once he was able to overcome, he hit three Claymore kicks in a row and got the one, two, three, and the winner of the match 
and new WWE champion Drew McIntyre. And I'm sure that Drew would have wanted this moment to be in front of a crowd. But the fact of the matter is, crowd or no crowd, Drew McIntyre deserves to be WWE champion. He earned it. And I would not want this to be postponed and have them, God forbid, change their minds. Because you know Vince, he changes his mind a lot, ladies and gentlemen. He'll change his mind the day of a fucking show. That's why, as much as people may want Vince to postpone a WrestleMania, you don't want him to postpone the WrestleMania. Because if your only reason is because you want to be in the crowd, to me that's fucking selfish. Because you're robbing Drew McIntyre of an opportunity to become champion. When Vince might change his mind, put it on Brock, and then God knows who will be the next one to take it from him. This was the right decision for business to keep WrestleMania going and get Drew McIntyre the WWE Championship that he so richly deserves in the main event that he so richly deserved. And Drew McIntyre, I believe, is going to be a great WWE Champion. I look forward to seeing how long this title reign lasts. And I really, 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 really hope that this is the end for Brock Lesnar getting WWE Championships or Universal Championships of any kind. I'm not saying that I want Brock to disappear completely because obviously when it comes to the Saudi Arabia shows and certain pay-per-views, he can still be an attraction, but he needs to be done with championships. That's it. No more WWE titles. No more Universal titles. He's done. No more titles for Lesnar. Him having the belt and sitting at home ain't doing shit. He needs to be out of the title pictures. No rematch. No nothing. It's done. Drew McIntyre is the champion. And I, he, he's had a long, glorious title reign. And when he finally does lose the title, it needs to be to another full-time superstar. In fact, the only part-timer that should be allowed to take that title from him is John Cena. And that's only because he deserves to break Ric Flair's record. So if Drew McIntyre is going to drop that belt to another part-timer, it better be John Cena. Other than that, it's full-timers all the way. If they're deserving. Alright, on that note, that ladies and gentlemen will conclude this recap of WrestleMania 36. And make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all five hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash the Boochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel for our video content that's exclusive to our YouTube channel. And make sure you guys hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when new content will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash the Boochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next one will be Saturday, July the 30th for WWE SummerSlam. We got a big event going on there, so uh, we'll have our watch party ready to go at 8 p.m. It'll be done one of two ways. It'll either be done featuring myself and Buff Bagwell, as we'll be doing it from Nashville, Tennessee, or it'll be featured from here in Georgia with the rest of the Boochcast team getting together to showcase the biggest party of the summer. 
Also, we got our D&D show coming soon, as well as the Boochcast booking battle and other content that will be coming to the Twitch channel later this year. Also, make sure you guys support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Our first level you can donate at is for 99 cents per month. This is for people who want to help out the show but don't have a lot of money to spend. Uh, the last thing we would ever ask our fans to do is break the bank or sacrifice a payment or feel guilt-tripped or pressured into giving us money that they just don't have to spend. So that's why we have this level for you guys. If all you can do is listen to the show and spread the link to everyone you know, then that's all you have to do. But if you want to put a little skin in the game and help us out, the 99 cents level is for you. Why is that? Because it's only 99 cents. You're not going to miss it, but it's going to help us out a great deal because every little bit helps the Booch Cast continue to grow and thrive. And if you got some extra spending cash, you can go up to the second level, which is for $4.99 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold to the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. Take that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network. And unlike the WWE, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. The option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use it to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe it'll be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest of the money to feed Zach Scott ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.